This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Ulysses by James Joyce, Section 4. Leopold Bloom ate with relish the inner organs of beasts and fowls. He liked thick giblet soup, nutty gizzards, a stuffed roast heart, liver slices fried with crust crumbs, fried hencods rose. Most of all, he liked grilled mutton kidneys, which gave to his palate a fine tang of faintly scented urine. Kidneys were in his mind as he moved about the kitchen softly, writing her breakfast things on the humpy tray. Gelid light air were in the kitchen, but out of doors, gentle summer morning everywhere made him feel a bit peckish. The coals were reddening. Another slice of bread and butter. Three, four, right. She didn't like her plate full. Right. He turned from the tray, lifted the kettle off the hob, and set it sideways on the fire. It sat there dull and squat. Its spout stuck out. Cup of tea soon. Good. Mouth dry. The cat walked stiffly around a leg of the table with tail on high. Oh, there you are, Bloom said, turning from the fire. The cat mewed in answer and stalked again stiffly around a leg of the table, mewing. Just how she stalks over my writing table. Purr, scratch my head. Purr. Good evening. Mr. Bloom watched curiously, kindly, the life black form, clean to see, the gloss of her sleek hide, the white button under the butt of her tail, the green flashing eyes. He bent down to her, his hands on his knees. Milk for the pussins, he said. The cat cried. They call them stupid. They understand what we say better than we understand them. She understands all she wants to. Vindictive, too. Wonder what I look like to her. Height of a tower? No, she can jump me. Afraid of the chicken she is, he said mockingly. Afraid of the chook-chooks. I never saw such a stupid pussins as the pussins. Cruel. Her nature. Curious mice never squeal. Seem to like it. The cat said loudly. She blinked up out of her avid, shame-closing eyes, mewing plaintively and long, showing him her milk-white teeth. He watched the dark eye slits narrowing with greed till her eyes were green stones. Then he went down to the dresser, took the jug Hanlon's milkman had just filled for him, poured warm bubbled milk on a saucer and set it slowly on the floor. She cried, running to lap. He watched the bristles shining wirely in the weak light as she tipped three times and licked lightly. Wonder is it true if you clip them they can't mouse after. Why? They shine in the dark, perhaps the tips, or kind of feelers in the dark, perhaps. He listened to her licking lap. 
Ham and eggs? No, no good, no good eggs with this drought. Want pure, fresh water. Thursday, not a good day either for mutton kidney at Buckley's. Fried with butter, a shake of pepper. Better a pork kidney at Lugach's. While the kettle is boiling, she, she laps slower, then licking the saucer clean. Why are their tongues so rough? To lap better, all porous holes. Nothing she can eat? He glanced round him. No. On quietly creaky boots, he went up the staircase to the hall, paused by the bedroom door. She might like something tasty. Thin bread and butter she likes in the morning. Still, perhaps once in a way. He said softly in the bare hall, I'm going round the corner, be back in a minute. And when he had heard his voice say it, he added, You don't want anything for breakfast? A soft, sleepy grunt answered, No, she didn't want anything. He heard then a warm, heavy sigh, softer, as she turned over and the loose brass quats of the bedstead jingle. Must get those settled, really. Pity. All the way from Gibraltar. Forgotten any little Spanish she knew. Wonder what her father gave for it. Old style. Ah, yes, of course. Bought it at the governor's auction. Got a short knock. Hard as nails at a bargain, old Tweety. Yes, sir. At Plevna, that was. I rose from the ranks, sir, and I'm proud of it. Still, he had brains enough to make that corner in stamps. Now that was far-seeing. His hand took his hat from the peg over his initialed heavy overcoat and his lost property office second-hand waterproof. Stamps. Sticky back pictures. Dare say lots of officers are in the swim, too. Of course they do. The sweated legend in the crown of his hat told him mutely, Plata's high grand hawk. He peeped quickly inside the leather headband. White slip of paper, quite safe. On the doorsteps he felt in his hip pocket for the latch key, not there. In the trousers I left off. Must get it. Potato I have. Creaky wardrobe. No use disturbing her. She turned over sleepily that time. He pulled the hall door to after him very quietly, more, till the footleaf dropped gently over the threshold. A limp lid. Look shut. All right till I come back, anyhow. He crossed to the bright side, avoiding the loose cellar flap of number 75. The sun was nearing the steeple of George's church. Be a warm day, I fancy. Especially in these black clothes, feel it more. Black conducts, reflects, refracts, is it? The heat. But I couldn't go in that light suit. Make a picnic of it. His eyelids sank quietly often as he walked in happy warmth. Boland's bread van delivering with trays are daily, but she prefers yesterday's loaves, turnovers, crisp crowns hot. Makes you feel young. Somewhere in the east, early morning, set off at dawn. Travel round in front of the sun. Steal a day's march on it. Keep it up. Forever, never grow a day older, technically. Walk along a strand, strange land, 
Come to the city gate. Sentry there. Old rank or two. Old Tweety's big mustaches, leaning on a long kind of spear. Wander through on streets, turbaned faces going by. Dark caves of carpet shops. Big man, Turco the Terrible, seated cross-legged, smoking a coiled pipe. Cries of sellers in the streets. Drink water scented with fennel sherbet. Dander all day long. Might meet a robber or two. Well, meet him. Getting on to sundown. The shadows of the mosques among the pillar priest with the scroll rolled up. A shiver of the trees. Signal the evening wind. I pass on. Fading gold sky. A mother watches me from her doorway. She calls her children home in their dark language. High wall, beyond strings twanged. Night sky, moon, violet. Color of Molly's new garters. Strings, listen. A girl playing one of those instruments. What do you call them? Dulcimers, I pass. Probably not a bit like it, really. Kind of stuff you read in the track of the sun. Sunburst on the title page. He smiled, pleasing himself. What Arthur Griffin said about the headpiece over the Freeman leader. A home rule sun rising up in the northwest from the laneway behind the Bank of Ireland. He prolonged his pretty smile. I could touch that. Home rule sun rising up in the northwest. He approached Larry O'Rourke's. From the cellar grating floated up the flabby gush of Porter. Through the open doorway, the bar squirted out whiffs of ginger, tea dust, biscuit mush. Good house, however, just the end of city traffic. For instance, McGalley's down there, in G as position. Of course, if they ran a tram line along the North Circular from the cattle market to the quays, value would go up like a shot. Bald head over the blind, cute old codger. No use canvassing him for an ad. Still, he knows his own business best. There he is, sure enough, my bold Larry, leaning against the sugar bin in his shirt sleeves, watching the aproned curate swab up with mop and bucket. Simon Dallas takes him off to a tee with his eyes screwed up. Do you know what I'm going to tell you? What's that, Mr. O'Rourke? Do you know what? The Russians. They'd only be an 8 o'clock breakfast for the Japanese. Stop and say a word. About the funeral, perhaps. Sad thing about poor Dingham, Mr. O'Rourke. Turning into Dorset Street, he said freshly in greeting through the doorway. Good day, O'Rourke. Good day to you. Lovely weather, sir. Tis all that. Tis all that. Oh, sorry. Where do they get the money? Coming up red-headed curates from the country, latrium, rinsing empties, an old man in the cellar. Then, lo and behold, they blossom, out as Adam Finn latters or down talons. Then, thin of the competition, general thirst, good puzzle, would be cross Dublin without passing a pub. Save it, they can't, off the drunks perhaps, Put down three and carry five. What is that? A bob here and there, dribs and drabs, on the wholesale orders, perhaps. Doing a double shuffle with the town travellers, square it with the boss, and we'll split the job. See? 
How much would that top to off the porter in the month? Say, ten barrels of stuff? Say you got ten pence per cent off. Zero more. Fifteen? He passed St. Joseph's National School. Brats. Clamour. Windows open. Fresh air helps a memory. Or a lilt. Ambiish. Defigy. Killer men. Opicure. Rustovi. W. Boys are they? Yes. Inish Turk. Inish Shark. Inish Boffin. But they're jog free. Mine. Sliev Bloom. He halted before Delgucci's window, staring at the hanks of sausages, polonies, black and white. Fifteen multiplied by. The figures whitened in his mind, unsolved, displeased. He let them fade. The shiny links packed with forcemeat fed his gaze and he breathed in tranquility with the lukewarm breath of the cooked spiced pig's blood. A kidney oozed blood gouts on the willow-patterned dish, the last. He stood by the next door's girl at the counter. Would she buy it too, calling the items from a slip in her hand, chapped, washing soda, and a pound and a half of Denny's sausages. His eyes rested on her vigorous hips. Wood, his name is. Wonder what he does. Wife is oldish. New blood. No followers allowed. Strong pair of arms. Whacking a carpet on the clothesline. She does whack it. By George. The way her crooked skirt swings at each whack. The ferreted-eyed pork butcher folded the sausages. He had snipped off with his blotchy fingers, sausage pink. Sound meat there, like a stale-fed heifer. He took a page up from the pile of cut sheets, the model farm at Kinnereth on the lake shore of the Tiberius. Can become ideal winter sanatorium. Moss Montefiore, I thought he was. Farmhouse, wall round it, blurred cattle cropping. He held the page from him. Interesting. Read it nearer. The title, the blurred cropping cattle, the page rustling. A young white heifer. Those mornings in the cattle market, the beasts lowering in their pens, branded sheep, flop and fall of dung, the breeders in hobnailed boots trudging through the litter, slapping a palm on the ripened hindquarter. There's a prime one. Up peeled switches in their hands. He held the page aslant patiently, bending his senses and his will, his soft subject gaze at rest. The cricket skirt swinging, whack by whack by whack. The port butcher snapped two sheets from the pile wrapped up her prime sausages and made a red grimace. Now, my miss, he said. She tendered a coin, smiling boldly, holding her thick wrist out. Thank you, my miss. And one shilling threepence change for you, please. Mr. Boom pointed quickly, 
to catch up and walk behind her if she went slowly, behind her moving hands. Pleasant to see the first thing in the morning. Hurry up, damn it. Make hay while the sun shines. She stood outside the shop in sunlight and sauntered lazily to the right. He sighed down his nose. They never understand. Soda-chapped hands, crusted toenails too, brown scapulars in tatters, defending her both ways. The sting of disregard glowed to weak pleasure within his breast. For another, a constable off duty, cuddling her in Eccles Lane, they like them sizable, prime sausage. Zero, please, Mr. Policeman, I'm lost in the wood. Threepence, please. His hand accepted the moist, tender gland and slipped it into his side pocket. Then it fetched up three coins from his trousers pocket and laid them on the rubber prickles. They lay, were read quickly, and quickly slid, disc by dicks, into the till. Thank you, sir. Another time. A speck of eager fire from the foxy eyes thanked him. He withdrew his gaze after an instant. No. Better not. Another time. Good morning, he said, moving away. Good morning, sir. No sign. Gone. What matter? He walked back along Dorset Street, reading gravely. Agendath Natan Planters Company to purchase waste sandy tracts from Turkish government and plant with eucalyptus trees. Excellent for shade, fuel, and construction. Orange groves and immense melon fields north of Jaffa. You pay 80 marks and they plant a dunam of land for you with olives, oranges, almonds, or citrons. Olives cheaper. Oranges need artificial irrigation. Every year you get a sending of the crop. Your name entered for life as owner in the Book of the Union. Can pay 10 down in the balance in yearly installments. Bliebestrasse, 34, Berlin, West 15. Nothing doing. Still an idea behind it. He looked at the cattle, blurred in silver heat, silver-powdered olive trees, quiet, long days, pruning, ripening. Olives are packed in jars, eh? I have a few left from Andrews. Molly's spitting them out, knows the taste of them now. Oranges and tissue paper packed in crates. Citrons, too. Wonder, is poor Citron still in St. Kevin's Parade? And Mastiansky with the old Sither. Pleasant evenings he had then. Molly in Citron's basket chair. Nice to hold, cool waxen fruit, hold in the hand, lift it to the nostrils and smell the perfume, like that heavy, sweet, wild perfume, always the same, year after year. They fetched high prices too, Moisel told me. Our Buddhist place, Pleasant Street, pleasant old times, must be without a flaw, he said, coming all that way, Spain, Gibraltar, Mediterranean, the Levant, crates lined up on the quayside at Jaffa, chap ticking them off in a book, Navvies handling them barefoot in soiled dungarees. There's, what do you call him out of? How do you? Doesn't see. Chap, you know, just a salute, bit of a bore. His back is like that Norwegian captain's. Wonder if I'll meet him today. Watering cart. To provoke the rain. On earth as it is in heaven. A cloud began to cover the sun, slowly, holy, gray, far. No, not like that. A barren land, bare waste, volcanic lake, the dead sea, no fish, weedless, sunk deep in the earth. No wind could lift those waves, gray metal, poisonous, foggy waters. 
Brimstone, they called it, raining down. The cities of the plain, Sodom, Gomorrah, Edom, all dead names, a dead sea and a dead land, gray and old. Old now. It bore the oldest, the first race, a bent hag crossed from Cassidy's, clutching a nagging bottle by the neck. The oldest people wandered far away over all the earth, captivity to captivity, multiplying, dying, being born everywhere. It lay there now. Now it could bear no more. Dead, an old woman's, the gray, sunken cunt of the world. Desolation. Gray horror seared his flesh. Folding the page into his pocket, he turned into Eccles Street, hurrying homeward. Cold oil slid along his veins, chilling his blood, age crusting him with a salt cloak. Well, I am here now. Yes, I am here now. Morning mouth bad images. Got up wrong side of the bed. Must begin again those sandals exercises on the hands down. Blotchy brown brick houses. Number 80 still unlet. Why is that? Valuation is only 28. Towers, Battersby, North, MacArthur. Parlor windows plastered with bills. Plasters on a sore eye to smell the gentle smoke of tea. Fume of the pan, sizzling butter. Be near her, ample bed-warmed flesh. Yes, yes. Quick, warm sunlight came running from Berkeley Road, swiftly in slim sandals along the brightening footpath. Runs, she runs to meet me, a girl with gold hair on the wind. Two letters and a card lay on the hall floor. He stooped and gathered them. Mrs. Marion Bloom. His quickened heart slowed at once. Bold hand, Miss Marion. Poldy! Entering the bedroom, he half-closed his eyes and walked through warm yellow twilight towards her tousled head. Who are the letters for? He looked at them. Mullingar, Millie. A letter for me from Millie, he said carefully, and a card to you, and a letter for you. He laid her card and letter on the twill bedspread near the curve of her knees. Do you want the blind up? Letting the blind up by gentle tugs halfway, his backward eye saw her glance at the letter and tuck it under her pillow. That do, he asked, turning. She was reading the card, propped on her elbow. She got the things, she said. He waited till she had laid the card aside and curled herself back slowly with a snug sigh. Hurry up with that tea, she said. I'm parched. The kettle is boiling, he said. But he delayed to clear the chair, her striped petticoat, tossed soiled linen, and lifted in, all, in an armful on the foot of the bed. As he went down the kitchen stairs, she called, Poldy! What? Scald the teapot. On the boil, sure enough, a plume of steam from the spout. He scalded and rinsed out the teapot and put in four full spoons of tea, tilting the kettle then to let the water flow in. Having set it to draw, he took off the kettle, crushed the pan flat on the live coals, and watched the lump of butter slide and melt. While he unwrapped the kidney, the cat mewed hungrily against him. Give her too much meat, she won't mouse. So they won't eat pork, kosher. Here, he let the blood-smeared paper fall to her and dropped the kidney amid the sizzling butter sauce. Pepper? He sprinkled it through his fingers, ringwise from the chipped egg cup. Then he slid open his letter, glancing down the page and over. Thanks, New Tam, Mr. Collin, Lock Owl Picnic, Young Student, Blazes Bowl, and Seaside Girls. The tea was drawn. He filled his own mustache cup, sham crown, 
Derby, smiling. Silly Millie's birthday gift. Only five she was then. Oh, no, wait, four. I gave her the Ambroid necklace she broke, putting pieces of folded brown paper in the letterbox for her. He smiled, pouring. Oh, Millie Bloom, you are my darling. You are my looking glass from night to morning. I'd rather have you without a farthing than Katie Keon with her ass and garden. Poor old Professor Goodwin. Dreadful old case. Still, he was a courteous old chap. Old-fashioned way he used to bow Molly off the platform. And the little mirror in his silk hat. The night Millie brought it into the parlor. <gasps> Look what I found in Professor Goodwin's hat! We all laughed. Sex breaking out even then. Hurt little piece she was. He prodded a fork into the kidney and slapped it over, then fitted the teapot on the tray. Its hump bumped as he took it up. Everything on it? Bread and butter, four, sugar, spoon, cream, yeah. He carried it upstairs, his thumb hooked in the teapot handle. Nudging the door open with his knee, he carried the tray in and set it on the chair by the bedhead. What a time you were, she said. He set the, she set the pillow brasses jingling as she raised herself briskly, an elbow on the pillow. He looked calmly down on her bulk and between her large, soft bubs, sloping within her nightdress like a she-goat's udder. The warmth of her couched body rose on the air, mingling with the fragrance of the tea she poured. A strip of torn envelope peeped from under the dimpled pillow. In the act of going, he stayed to straighten the bedspread. Who was the letter from? he asked. Bold hand, Marion. Oh, Boylan, she said. He's bringing the program. What are you singing? La Chia Darem with J.C. Doyle, she said, and Love's Old Sweet Song. Her full lips drinking smiled. Rather stale smell that incense leaves next day, like foul flower water. Would you like the window open a little? She doubled a slice of bread in her mouth, asking, What time's the funeral? Eleven, I think, he answered. I didn't see the paper. Following the pointing of her finger, he took up a leg of her soiled drawers from the bed. No? Then a twisted gray garter looped round a stocking, rumpled shiny sole. No, that book. Other stocking? Her petticoat? It must have fell down, she said. He felt here and there. Voglio e non vorrei. wonder if she pronounces that right, Voglio. Not in the bed, must have slid down. He stooped and lifted the valence. The book, fallen, sprawled against the bulge of the orange-keyed chamber pot. Show here, she said. I put a mark in it. There's a word I want to ask you. She swallowed a draft of tea from her cup and held by the knot handle, and having wiped her fingers smartly on the blanket, began to search the text with her, with her hairpin till she reached the word. Madam what? he asked. Here, she said. What does that mean? He leaned downward and read near her polished thumbnail. Metempsychosis? Yeah. Who's he when he's at home? Metempsychosis, he said, frowning. It's Greek, from the Greek. That means the transmigration of souls. Oh, rocks, she said. Tell us in plain words. He smiled, glancing askance at her mocking eyes. Same young eyes. First night after the charades, Dolphin's Barn. He turned over the smudged pages. Ruby, the pride of the ring. Hello, illustration. Fierce Italian with carriage whip. Must be Ruby pride of the on the floor naked. She kindly lent. 
the monster mafia desisted and flung his victim from him with an oath. Cruelty behind it all. Doped animals, trapeze at hanglers. Had to look the other way. Mob gaping. Break your neck and we'll break our sides. Families of them. Bone them young so they met in psychosis. That we live with after death. Our souls. That a man's soul after he's di he dies. Dignum soul. Did you finish it? He asked. Yeah, she said. There's nothing smutty in it. Was she in love with the first fellow all the time? Never read it. Do you want another? Yes. Get another of Paul de Cox. Nice name he has. She poured more tea into her cup, watching it flow sideways. Must get that Capel Street Library book renewed, or they'll write to Kearney, my guarantor. Reincarnation, that's the word. Some people believe, he said, that we go on living in another body after death that we lived before. They call it reincarnation, that we all lived before on the earth thousands of years ago or some other planet. They say we've forgotten it. They say, some say they remember their past lives. The sluggish cream wound curdling spirals through her tea. Bet reminded her of the word metempsychosis. An example would be better. An example? The bath of the nymph over the bed, given away with the Easter number of photo bits. Splendid masterpiece in art colors. Tea before you put milk in? Not unlike her with her hair down, slimmer. Three and six I gave for the frame. She said it would look nice over the bed, naked nymphs, grease. And for all instance, and for instance, all the people that lived then. He turned the pages back. Metempsychosis, he said, is what the ancient Greeks called it. They used to believe you could be changed into an animal or a tree, for instance. What they called nymphs, for example. Her spoons ceased to stir up the sugar. She gazed straight before her, inhaling through her arched nostrils. There's a smell of burn, she said. Did you leave anything on the fire? <gasps> the kidney, he cried suddenly. He fitted the book roughly into his inner pocket and, stubbing his toes against the broken commode, hurried out toward the smell, stepping hastily down the stairs with a flurried stork's legs. Pungent smoke shot up in an angry jet from a side of the pan. By prodding a prong of the fork under the kidney, he detached it and turned it turtle on its back, only a little burnt. He tossed it off the pan onto a plate and let the scanty brown gravy trickle over it. Cup of tea now. He sat down, cut and buttered a slice of the loaf. He shore away the burnt flesh and flung it to the cat. Then he put a forkful into his mouth, chewing with discernment the toothsome pliant meat, done to a turn. A mouthful of tea, then he cut away the dyes of bread, sopped one in the gravy and put it in his mouth. What was that about some young student and a picnic? He creased out the letter at his side, reading it slowly as he chewed, sopping another dye of bread in the gravy and raising it to his mouth. Dearest Papley, thanks ever so much for the lovely birthday present. It suits me splendid. Everyone says I'm quite the belle in my new tan. I got Mummy's lovely box of creams and am writing. They are lovely. I'm getting on swimming in the photo business now. Mr. Coglin took one of me, and Mrs. will send when developed. We did great biz yesterday. Fair day and all the beef to the heels we're in. We're going to Loch Owl on Monday with a few friends to make a scrap picnic. Give my love to Mummy and to yourself a big kiss and thanks. 
I hear them at the piano downstairs. There is to be a concert in the Grenville Arms on Saturday. There is a young student comes here some evenings named Bannon. His cousins or something are big swells, and he sings Boylan's, I was on the pop of writing Blazer's Boylan's, song about those seaside girls. Tell him Silly Millie sends his best respects. I must now close with fondest love, your fond daughter, Millie. P.S. Excuse bad writing, am in hurry. Bye-bye, M. 15 yesterday, curious, 15th of the month too. Her first birthday away from home, separation. Remember the summer morning she was born, running to knock up Mrs. Thornton in Denzel Street. Jolly old woman, lots of babies she must have helped into the world. She knew from the first poor little Rudy wouldn't live. Well, God is good, sir. She knew at once. He would be 11 now if he had lived. His vacant face stared pityingly at the postscript. Excuse bad writing. Hurry. Piano downstairs. Coming out of her shell. Row with her in the XL cafe about the bracelet. Wouldn't eat her cakes or speak or look. Sauce box. He sopped other dyes of bread in the gravy and ate piece after piece of kidney. Twelve and six a week. Not much. Still, she might do worse. Music hall stage, young student. He drank a draught of cooler tea to wash down his meal. Then he read the letter again, twice. Oh well, she knows how to mind herself. But if not, no, nothing has happened. Of course it might. Wait, in any case, until it does. A wild piece of goods, of slim legs running up the staircase. Destiny ripening now. Vain, very. He smiled with troubled affection at the kitchen window. Day I caught her in the street, pinching her cheeks to make them red, anemic a little, was given milk too long. On the errands king that day, round the kish, damned old tub pitching about, not a bit funky. Her pale blue scarf loose in the wind with her hair. All dimpled cheeks and curls, your head it simply swirls. Seaside girls, torn envelope hands, stuck in his trousers pockets, Javi off for the day, singing. Friend of the family, swirls, he says, pier with lamps, summer evening band, those girls, those girls, those lovely seaside girls. Millie too, young kisses, the first, far away now, past, Mrs. Marion, Redding, lying back now, counting the strands of her hair, smiling, braiding. A soft qualm, regret, flowed down his backbone, increasing. Will happen, yes, prevent, useless, can't move. Girl's sweet, light lips will happen too. He felt the flowing qualm spread over him. Useless to move now, lips kissed, kissing kissed, full gluey women's lips. Better where she is down there, away, occupier. Wanted a dog to pass the time. Might take a trip down there, August, bank holiday. Only two and six return, six weeks off, however. Might work a press pass or through McCoy. The cat, having cleaned all her fur, returned to the meat-stained paper, nosed at it and stalked to the door. She looked back at him, mewing. Wants to go out. Wait before a door sometime. It will open. Let her wait. Has the fidgets. Electric thunder in the air. Was washing at her ear with her back to the fire, too. He felt heavy, full, then the gentle loosening of his bowels. He stood up, undoing the waistband of his trousers. The cat mewed at him. Meow, he said in answer. Wait till I'm ready. Heaviness, hot day coming. 
too much trouble to fag up the stairs to the landing. A paper. He liked to read at stool. Hope no ape comes knocking just as I'm... In the table drawer, he found an old number of titbits. He folded it under his armpit, went to the door and opened it. The cat went up in soft bounds. Ah, wanted to go upstairs, curl up in a ball on the bed. Listening, he heard her voice. Come, come, pussy, come. He went out through the back door into the garden, stood to listen towards the next garden. No sound. Perhaps hanging clothes out to dry. The maid was in the garden. Fine morning. He bent down to regard a lean file of spearmint growing up the wall. Make a summer house here. Scarlet runners, Virginia creepers. Want to manure the whole place over. Scabby soil. A coat of liver of sulfur. All soil like that without dung. Household slops. Loam. What is this that is? The hens in the next garden. Their droppings are very good top dressing. Best of all, though, are the cattle, especially they, when they are fed on those oil cakes. Mulch of dung. Best thing to clean ladies' kid gloves. Dirty cleans. Ashes, too. Reclaim the whole place. Grow peas in that corner there. Lettuce. Always have fresh greens, then. Still, gardens have their drawbacks. That bee or blue bottle here, Whit Monday. He walked on. Where's my hat, by the way? Must have put it back on the peg. Or hanging up on the floor. Funny, I don't remember that. Hall stand too full. Four umbrellas, her rain cloak. Picking up the letters. Drago's shop bell ringing. Queer, I was just thinking that moment. Brown brilliantined hair over his collar. Just had a wash and brush up. Wonder, have I time for a bath this morning? Terra Street. Chap in the pay box. There got away James Stevens, they say. O'Brien. Deep voice that fellow Dlugach has. Agenda, what is it? Now, my miss, enthusiast. He kicked open the crazy door of the Jakes. Better be careful not to get these trousers dirty for the funeral. He went in, bowing his head under the low lintel. Leaving the door ajar, amid the stench of moldy lime wash and stale cobwebs, he undid his braces. Before sitting down, he peered through a chink at the next door windows. The king was in his counting house. Nobody. A squat on the cuckstool, he folded out his paper, turning its pages over on his bared knees. Something new and easy. No great hurry. Keep it a bit. Our prize titbit. Matcham's Master Stroke, written by Mr. Philip Beaufoy, Playgoers Club, London. Payment at the rate of one guinea a column has been made to the writer. Three and a half, three pounds, three, three pounds, thirteen, six. Quietly he read, restraining himself. The first column and, yielding but resisting, began the second. Midway, his last resistance yielding, he allowed his bowels to ease themselves quietly as he read, reading still patiently, that slight constipation of yesterday quite gone. Hope it's not too big, bring on piles again. No, just right. 
So, uh, costive. One tabloid of Cascara Sagrada. Life might be so. It did not move or touch him, but it was something quick and neat. Print anything now. Silly season. He read on, seated, calm above his own rising smell. Neat, certainly. Matcham often thinks of the masterstroke by which he won the laughing witch who now begins and ends morally, hand in hand. Smart. He glanced back through what he had read and, while feeling his water flow quietly, he envied kindly Mr. Beaufoy who had written it and received payment of three pounds, thirteen and six. Might manage a sketch by Mr. and Mrs. L. M. Bloom. Invent a story for some proverb. Which? Time I used to try jotting down on my cuff what she said dressing. Disliked dressing together. Nicked myself shaving. Biting her nether lip. Hooking the placket of her skirt. Timing her. 9.15. Did Roberts pay you yet? 9.20. What had Greta Conroy on? 9.23. What possessed me to buy this comb? 9.24. I'm swelled after all that cabbage. A speck of dust on the patent leather of her boot. Rubbing smartly in turn each welt against her stocking calf. Morning after the bazaar dance when May's band played Poncielli's Dance of the Hours. Explain that. Morning hours. Noon. Then evening coming on. Then night hours. Washing her teeth. That was the first night. Her head dancing. Her fantastics clicking. Is that Boylan well off? He has money. Why? I noticed he had a good rich smell off his breath dancing. No use humming then. Allude to it. Strange kind of music that last night. The mirror was in shadow. She rubbed her hand glass briskly on her woolen vest against her full wagging bub. Peering into it. Lines in her eyes. It wouldn't pan out somehow. Evening hours, girls in gray gauze. Night hours then, black with daggers and eye masks. Poetical idea, pink, then golden, then gray, then black. Still true to life also, day, then the night. He tore away half the prize story sharply and wiped himself with it. Then he girded up his trousers, braced and buttoned himself. He pulled back the jerky, shaky door of the jakes and came forth from the gloom into the air. In the bright light, lightened and cooled in limb, he eyed carefully his black trousers, the ends, the knees, the huffs of the knees. What time is the funeral? Better find out in the paper. A creak and a dark whir in the air high up. The bells of George's church. They told the hour, loud, dark, iron. Hey-ho, 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 hey-ho. Quarter two. There again, the overtone following through the air. A third. Poor Dignam. End of section four, read by David Cozy, Kasumi, Susan Hooks, Robin Hunt, Todd McQuillan, Kristen McQuillan, Jeremy Hidley, 
Tokyo, Japan, November, December 7th, 2005.